Welcome to Inside Track, brought to you by Chiltern Railways. I'm Emma Gascoigne, and like you, I travel by train a lot. And as I go about my business, I often wonder how it all works. So I went on the Chiltern network to find out some of the burning questions that other rail users have. In this series, we'll be discussing these questions with the people behind the scenes at Chiltern Railways and getting the inside track on a number of topics. Today, we're answering your questions about infrastructure and we're also going behind the scenes and getting the inside track on lost property. In the studio now, we're joined by the Customer Services Director, Alan Riley, and Head of Health, Safety, Security and Environment, Martin Talbot. Thank you both for joining us on Inside Track. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure. Alan, you're back for your, your second episode, which is good. It's good to see that you've returned. Are you looking forward to answering some more of the customer questions? I am very excited. You know, delighted to be invited back. So thanks, Emma. And uh, we've got Martin with us today that I'm really excited about. Have you given Martin any advice what to expect? Well, we haven't actually spoken about it. So there may be advice as today goes on, but no, I haven't. And, and Martin, you've been with Chiltern Railways a long time. Yeah, I, I joined Chiltern Railways before it even uh, got privatised back in 1994. Uh, so a very long time. And I've never thought that the grass is greener on the other side, if I'm honest. Um, there's always lots of things that Chiltern are doing. Uh, we've been investing strongly through throughout our franchise Um, and so therefore there's always a new challenge to be involved in and it's really been exciting. So what does a railway man like you do when he's not um, working on the railway? Okay well it's a lot of time on the railway but I do really enjoy my free time Um, so when I have some um, I really enjoy listening to music it's probably an obsession in a way I love always finding new music listening to old music and finding old acts who might actually still be interesting these days. And I also enjoy travelling and doing photography. And if I can, I really enjoy doing all three together. Well, before we digress further into the world of, of music, let's take the first question. During this week, there was floods on the, on the line and I was interested to know why the train couldn't just gently go through the floods. So that was a question from a customer at Moore Street, and I recorded that a few months ago in the summer, actually. So, Martin, why is flooding an issue for the railway? It's quite complex, so it's difficult to put it into quite sort of simple terms in a short period of time. But whenever there is flood water, it can have a big impact on a number of ways in which Chiltern operates over that site. So, for example, there are lots of electrics that are there to help run the railway through the controlling signalling. And if there is flood water around, then that is one aspect that can be quite critically affected. So the signaller would speak to the driver and make sure that even if we can proceed, we might have to proceed at a very slow speed. Uh, So commonly on some of our routes, especially where we know we have had flooding before, we might be running normally at about 100 miles an hour. But when you have flooding, uh, it can be determined by the level of flooding, but you might be having to go at something like a walking pace through the site to make sure that it's actually secure and safe to do so. It's even more of a problem if you've got running water. So there are two quite distinct types of situation that network rail would have to be careful about. One is whether you've just got flood water and how high that flood water is, if it's over the railhead, where you can't then be sure about what the the status of the infrastructure is under the flood water. But also if it's running water, that is even more important because it could actually destabilise the ballast on which the rails sit. So then you don't know whether the formation is actually fit for running a train on top of. There is also the issue that if you've got flood water that could reach the bottom of the train, and this is a problem that affects certain types of trains, um, it could actually affect the integrity of the safety systems on the train. 
So you might actually affect the braking, for example, or some aspect of the, the powering of the unit that then could leave a stranded train in floodwater. So there's lots of reasons why you might have to be very careful about how you can go through floodwater. Having said that, the rule book that the railway operates with has endeavoured over years to make sure that we are being as active as we can be to get through floodwater and not be unduly risk averse. Yeah, and hearing you explain that, Martin, it really puts it into perspective why you have to be so careful. Sure. Brilliant. We're going to play another question now from Moore Street. I was wondering, actually, how Chiltern Railways are dealing with the problem of the theft of copper wire from the, the uh, overhead cables. So, Martin, what are you, you doing about the theft of copper? One of the helpful things for Chiltern Railways with this particular question is that, thankfully, we don't actually operate any overhead wires. So thinking about the big picture of copper theft and the theft of uh, valuable metals, we're actually in a reasonable place at the moment. And it goes through cycles uh, with how much this is a social issue. Go back about five years and the railway across the whole of the network was really struggling with the amount of theft of copper and Network Rail and the British Transport Police worked very closely with metal dealers and other scrap merchants as to how to try and prevent this kind of unaccounted for metal getting into the hands of the metal dealers so that the, the, the market wasn't there to be exploited. Having said all that, the other risk is, is that this, this can actually be really dangerous. So what was commonly happening was that the thieves were taking this, this stuff from live high-powered cables. So the risk of their own electrocution was also really high, and it, they did get electrocuted in certain places. So a lot of good work by Network Rail and the British Transport Police, and to the point where the whole industry went down, there was there was a much reduced level of it. It also obviously links to whatever the demand for metal is. So it goes with the market. And, and there has been a recent increase in the market price for this kind of material. So the chances for getting a, a quick win for the thieves actually has gone up again. So that risk is now emanating again. Having said that, there are lots of things that Network Rail have done that has got a legacy that is still there now. So marking up key bits of infrastructure with ultraviolet light so that you can, send, you can, do, you can do checks on it as to whether it's been stolen is a deterrence. And they put quite significant sort of signage up to say that it is marked up so that it hopefully deters people from doing it from those key sites. Alan, if, if customers spot anything that they think sort of suspicious about this kind of activity, what should they do? Well, there's options there. Uh, report it to a member of staff at the station, report it to a member of staff on train, uh, directly report it to the British Transport Police. Um, and what's key to remember here is that this has an impact on everyone, so that there is no victimless crime. And when this happens, this causes delays to people's journeys. Those journeys are important. You know, we've got children getting to school, people trying to get to work, people where train will be their only method of actually leaving home that day. So it's not victimless. So I'd say if anyone does see anything suspicious, please make sure you report it because it really is important this stops. OK, well, we've got another weather-related question now, and this time from a customer from Marleybone. Hi, my question is, uh, given the, the recent hot weather and the problems on the railways uh, that that caused, with the potential for more global warming, uh, is there going to be more incidents on the railway? Are we doing anything longer term to, to prevent against extremes in high or low temperatures and the effect it's going to have on the railway? So a very topical issue, and it's something that last week actually Network Rail alluded to in their insight piece. 
Who would like to, to start? It's Martin here. I think there's sort of two angles to this I'd like to try and touch on. One is about what we're doing with our stakeholders like Network Rail and anyone else who can help prevent the impact of global warming activity on how we run our train service. So, you know, we talked about just now flooding. That's obviously one of those kind of symptoms where you get massive deluges in very short spaces of time. Same with extreme heat. Uh, so those kind of things that are often weather-related are really important that we are working with our infrastructure providers and within our own engineering department about how we can try and prevent the impact of those events. It's not just Network Rail, we have a really strong relationship with London Underground as well, and they are quite prone to issues to do with uh, extreme weather. It may not be just about global climate change, but even where we have severe winter weather, so and, and again, could be come from, from climate change, they are prone to the impacts of it because of them having their third and fourth electric rail on the ground, which can be impacted by ice and snow quite dramatically. So they have to prepare very strongly for severe winter weather events. On the other side, there's lots of things that Chiltern are doing to try and make sure we are contributing in our way to trying to prevent these things happening. So made people may be aware that we've actually got a programme of, of a trial for a hybrid unit of not using diesel power. We're obviously concerned within Chiltern that we are one of the few remaining diesel-powered operators, which does provide further emissions and issues that people are concerned about when it comes to global warming. But we are doing what we can currently to try and alleviate that through the ideas of, of hybrid kind of uh, battery-style power. We are in the longer term, obviously, in discussions with the government as to what electrification of our route might look like. We even do the simple things as an industry first for doing things like coffee cup recycling, where we're trying to alleviate the amount of waste we produce. So both sides are very important and we understand that the customers would be very concerned about how it looks for the future. Still to come, we have three more questions around infrastructure of the railway, including hearing an answer to something we've always wondered about. How does a train stay on the track? But now we're going to go behind the scenes in lost property. Hello, you're referring to Chiltern Railway's lost property department. I'm very excited to be on my way to Marleybone Station to meet Emil and Rahana to find out all about lost property. So tell me, Emil, how does it all work? Say I've enjoyed a day trip to Stratford-upon-Avon and I buy myself a Shakespeare bath duck and I lose it on the train because I'm getting it out and showing people and taking photos of it. What, what happens? How would I get reunited with my piece of memorabilia? So your Shakespeare um, bath duck will probably enjoy the rest of his journey down to um, one of our, whatever the ends of our route, so maybe Birmingham or, or London, depending where you're going. Our train care team would then be cleaning the train and they'd find your duck and they'd look to make sure that no, uh, no harm came to him. Um, so they would take him to our lost property department. Once uh, your duck's in our lost property department, our team will take good care of them until they hear from you. Um, in which case they can try and reunite you. So there's a strong chance I would actually get reunited with, with my duck. Oh yes, yeah, our, our lost property team are great. Malibun lost property, Rahana speaking, how can I help? Okay, yeah, yeah, when was that? And was it on a Chilton train? Okay. What we do is um, we have an actual collection day from each station. They come downstairs in our lost property office and then they go through what items you know, have been delivered 
And then the person who's actually going through the items, you know, they'll suddenly see something and they think, yeah, I've seen somebody's wrote in. They've sent an email requesting if we found this item. We've had recently a gentleman, when he was in one of our trains, a, a 165 set, he was on the phone while he actually dropped the phone in between the seat and uh, didn't realise he'd done that, got off the train. And the gentleman did have find my phone on so he could see the phone was traveling on mm. our line somewhere but it, we couldn't tell if somebody actually had the phone on them if, if it yeah. was in the train finally finally um we well i contacted uh, our depot and Ellsbury, and i said well something it's on that train and i've looked at our simplifiers which tells us which trains on what movement and i said it's definitely on the train and we need to find it um, so the engineering team had to strip down that part of the whole seat to get to, and they did find the phone. Oh, brilliant. Um, so that was a real joy. I mean, I'm telling you now, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps. Aww. It's just that relief kind of, it makes you feel happy. What do you love most about the work that you do within Lost Property? It's the smile when somebody sees the item. As you walk up to them with your item, you know, you've got their bag in your hand, and that big smile that they have on their face... Um, sometimes it's really nice. I mean, I, I sometimes uh, I am cheeky where I'll hide the item just behind me and just go up to them and just kind of, uh, you know, in the last second I'll say, oh, here it is. It's just that happiness when you see on their face. Um, that makes us happy. And everybody enjoys um, that kind of happiness. And again, there are those sad moments when somebody is really looking for that item, which meant a lot, and we can't find it. I have to say, I really enjoyed going behind the scenes uh, at Lost Property and finding out more about that genuine pride and passion from, from staff. Alan, you must be so proud. The, the team go to such efforts to, to make sure we get the item back to the owner um, whenever possible. The office there is full of really weird and wonderful things there that you do wonder how people have managed to forget those things. The latest craze seems to be going shopping with a suitcase and then when you get back to Marlebone, leaving the suitcase there, which, which is quite unhelpful. But yeah, I think people just get a bit more forgetful because we, we find there's push chairs and prams and uh, wheelchairs and all sorts of clothing and, it, and it, it's a really kind of myriad of goods down in the lost properties. So I think people just get a little bit more forgetful in travelling. The, the good news is with a lot of these items is we do uh, auction them off for charity. So they, they don't go to waste and they go to a good home and then there's a financial contribution for charities. So even when we don't get the item back to the original owner, uh, it ends up in a good place. We're going to move on now to our next question and this one's from High Wickham. How do you prevent wildlife from coming onto the tracks? So it's one of my favourite questions actually. Martin, how do you stop wildlife from getting on the track? Okay, it is very difficult. Uh, we've had some humorous kind of events in Chilton's uh, existence. Uh, I can recall where we've had emus on the line, wallabies and goats. It is more commonly that we have sheep and cows and obviously that is linked to the kind of territory that we go through. We do go through some very rural areas which is basically adjacent to strong areas of farmland. It's a case of having to make sure that we, together with Network Rail, very much focused on Network Rail's work here, uh, about how they work with the local landowners. So they have a very strong relationship. You know, this is quite complex, and you perhaps don't think when you're running a railway that you've got a lot of work going on where Network Rail staff are talking to local farmers. So they are commonly in work with the farmers to make sure they are fully understanding what the land is being used for. It's obviously OK if it's being used to grow potatoes, 
But if it's being used to uh, have cows and sheep in the fields, then it's far more important what that fencing looks like. So Network Rail works strongly with the local farming communities to make sure that the farmers understand the size of the risks because they don't want to see their animals getting... Because cows particularly, hit. especially male cows... Yep. Bulls. Sorry. That's what they're called. They're bulls. Especially bulls. Like they are um they can be quite problematic. Okay. When they they're can trying be problematic, to... but all cows can be remarkably frisky. Mm. Yeah. They well, have, I didn't want to say they it, have but... the ability to jump quite sizable distances mm. over what would be normally seen to be sort of good height fences. That can happen, but it is far more common for the integrity of the fence itself to be compromised and therefore to be some form of hole or gap in what would otherwise be fencing that was originally probably used for arable fields. So there is a lot of requirement for network rail as the owners of the track, but also the farmers, and it depends on what the fence line is as to whether it's owned by the farmer or network rail. So there's lots of complexity to it all as to who's responsible for the integrity of the fence line. But that is the crux of it. Most of the animals that cause the problems for us are coming from uh, rural fields. I was going to say, though, that just, just to be clear i mean obviously it's quite right that our customers are concerned about the wildlife and also the impact that that wildlife might have on their journey but to say that in terms of people go or animals in inverted commas going on our railway where they shouldn't be it is far more common and frustrating and concerning that we have more human trespass than we do any type of animal incursion onto our railway so we have on chiltern railways alone around about 20 events of trespass every four weeks. And if you take it across the whole of the UK, you're talking about tens of thousands of trespass. Now, that should be preventable, yeah, because this is all about people who have, should be aware of the risks that that is incurring on them and the, the network that we are serving. So we are doing a lot of work through schools, through other organisations, to try and make sure all of the communities understand the risks of trespass and trying to prevent it. I think following off Martin's point there about about people trespassing, I think that's where we could really ask for help for listeners um, to this. It's really just if you've got children or family members, it's just iterating and then reiterating the risk of trespassing on the railway because it really is a life and death scenario. And I think often people trespass without knowing that. But but really, I would ask that it, it it's really shared with kind of family, friends and certainly younger individuals of the, the high risk that is there uh, once you're kind of in or about the railway track. OK, we're going to take our next question now and that's from High Wycombe. Our railway system or our infrastructure here in the UK is completely out, out of date. It's still heavily reliant on the Victorian system and we're not competing with the likes of uh, other EU countries uh, as well as China and Japan who have a fantastic system. Governments try to move us and everyone's trying to move us into, out of cars into public transport. But the, I don't think the, any of the MDs who drive around in their Range Rovers have actually been on a train on, or seen how slow they are, or how poorly the hygiene is, etc. So we've fallen way behind where everyone else should be. And uh, I think they should get out there and sample it. And I don't expect to see any improvements, uh, at least in my lifetime anyway. So lots of points with with this one, and some of which were picked up actually in last week's show. Firstly, is our infrastructure out of date, Martin? So I think there are areas in the nation's railway system which are no doubt uh, could do with some further upgrades um, and be modernised more than where they have been. 
But for Chiltern Railways, I think we have done a lot of investing in our railway. You know, I've seen it for 20-odd years, and, and we've gone from having a single track for 20 miles of our route where only one train could go in either direction. They would have to cr- crash in the middle if they were to go the same in opposite directions at the same time for our core route between London and Birmingham. We've made sure we've doubled all of that route. We have extended what was a 70-mile-an-hour railway to a 100-mile-an-hour railway. I think Chiltern has a track quality that is the envy of many a network. I've just been uh, to Europe, um, travelling all the way through from France, through to Switzerland, through to Italy. And uh, yes, there are sections where the track is very good quality and we were going at very high speed, but they also had sections of track where Chiltern's quality of track was way better. So um, we are up there with the best of them on our regular network uh, with Europe. And Alan, um, what kind of improvements can this gentleman expect to see? To start with, I'm, I'm quite saddened by his view. And I'm hoping if he travels with us enough, we can change that view. I think we've made significant improvements uh, on the Chiltern route, echoing really Martin's point there. I think we've, in terms of in- infrastructure, we've increased the line speed. There's been new routes added to existing routes. So we've tried to add more locations. As an overall service and product, we've always tried to make sure that we respond to needs. And those needs actually, bizarrely over time, don't change a great deal. So the key needs that customers are often telling me is actually we want to trust you. So ensure trains are on time. Give me a timetable that makes your service accessible make sure there's uh, sufficient seating so I can have comfort. And then we've tried to kind of enable it for people's journeys in terms of offering free Wi-Fi, offering plug sockets on trains, um, enhancing our stations. I mean, only in the last couple of years, we've probably we've spent over two million on stations and new retailing systems. We're looking at our car parks to put in uh, automatic number plate systems in there that makes it easy to pay for parking to bring down that end-to-end journey. And we keep investing in that. So we keep trying to to listen and respond to that. The next big rollout really we have now that we've commenced is smart ticketing that will actually make it easier to purchase tickets. You'll have a smart card. And again, that will just reduce time. So do I think we've got a state-of-the-art system? I think we've always tried to improve and I think we've invested. I think we've listened and I think we've got to keep doing that. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. And, And that's what we've got to respond to. And I don't have a Range Rover, so I, I spend far more time on trains. And that's because I, I think the, the kind of British Rail transport system actually does offer a good service overall. But yes, we, we must listen. And yes, there's a lot to improve upon there. And I can say I don't even have a car. So I'm always on the train um, to be able to experience what we offer up to our customers. Well, now it's time for our final question and one that I have certainly wondered about. How does a train stay on the track? So, <laughs> Alan Martin, I don't know if you need to draw a diagram for this one. I mean, it is it is seemingly a wonder of science sometimes, of how, tr- especially at the very high speed. Is it magic? It's not magic. No, there is there is science and logic to everything that happens about trains running on tracks. Sad that it might be. I'd rather it was magic and something out of Harry Potter, but it isn't. So, you know, this goes back 150, 200 years. But there are some really fundamental principles that probably matter, especially about the safety and the integrity of trains running on tracks and staying on tracks. Now, a key fundamental of it is about how the wheel design works. Yeah, the rail is relatively basic, even over the last 150 years of development, despite there being lots of improvement in continuously welded rail to give it a smoother ride. The actual 
um, structure of the rail hasn't really changed a great deal. It is still two bits of metal. The wheel likewise hasn't changed much, but it's the core design of the wheel and the rail interface, as we call it, that really matters. So the flanges on the wheel, the bits that curve inside and stay inside the bottom part of the rail, is the really fundamental part that helps keep the gravitational forces and the the other sort of outward forces from keeping the train from moving away from the rail. There's two really key things, one for the train, one for the track. What really matters for the track is that the geometry of the track is good. The higher the line speed, the more important it is that the lateral and the vertical kind of alignment, the one rail and the other rail, sit dead centre with each other so that you don't get one rail going higher or lower than the other one. Now, the other part for the train is how the axle, so the, 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 the joint between the two wheels that, that join underneath, you know, that's got to be really working very well because otherwise, if as the wheels go around very fast, you've got to make sure the axle bearings don't overheat. Our engineers, the Chiltern engineers, are always really making sure through taking oil samples and making sure that the, the train itself is working, the wheels are moving on the train, in the bogey, as efficiently as they need to all the time. There is no magic. I say it again, it's no magic. It, it's down to uh, lots of integrity and effort from the, all the engineers involved to make sure that train sits on the track. Well, that's it for this episode. Tune in next week to get the inside track on train cleaning and to hear your questions about engineering. Remember, you can let us know what you think about this programme by tweeting at Chiltern Railway or by leaving a review. Goodbye. <laughs>